Welcome to the Trash Talk Podcast. This is Michael, uh, Recycle Michael, here with Nick Balachandran. Nick uh, started Zabble, this really interesting tech company, which is focused on uh, software as a service for tracking waste, uh, to put it basically. So, Nick, why don't you tell me more about uh, what Zabble is? Hey, Michael. Um, thanks for having me on, on your show. Uh, it's, um, it's great that you started this Trash Talk uh, podcast. Uh, I've been listening to your, uh, all the past podcasts, and it's, uh, it's awesome. Oh, thanks. It's been fun. Something to do while uh, sheltering in place. Yeah, totally. I can always count on you to come up with some good, innovative ideas to do stuff. Thanks. Yeah, I like... Uh... I like trying new things, new approaches, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you asked about, um, Zabble. Yeah. I can tell a little more about what we do. Uh, we work mainly with educational institutions and corporations, uh, to track success of their zero waste programs using our cloud-based, uh, SaaS platform or software as a service, as you put it. And so we do this in a, in a really measured way so our clients can run campaigns around waste reduction, reducing contamination, or increasing diversion from landfill. And they do it using our mobile uh, platform where they uh, set up a campaign, whether it's uh, setting up a reusables program or switching out the bins. And what they do is they run a baseline set of measurements to monitor how contaminated the bins are, how full the bins are, and then post that, they uh, post the swap or updating the program, they run up another bunch of measurements to figure out if it actually was successful. And if it was, then they can scale it out across their entire organization. And if it isn't, then they learn from it and tweak it. And so we provide them a whole bunch of suites uh, of, of software around monitoring uh, waste inside the building to what's being picked up by the haulers in the form of invoices and we help them digitize that and uh, give them a sense of uh, what their costs are so they can optimize it. Yeah, I just love the angle that you're taking here because you know outreach has always been a thing, but how do we track you know the success of outreach? Is it working? Is it not? You know we can look at uh, recycling rates from uh, you know the data that we get from haulers, but you're able now to start um, looking much more granularly and seeing like floor by floor if people are properly sorting and if not creating mechanisms for feedback to to have that uh, outreach education go into like more targeted areas. Is that correct? Right. I think you brought up a great point. So I, I think if you just look back up the 30,000 foot view is a, is a zero waste goal either by the organization or the city yeah, but how do you operationalize such a goal or an ideology? And I think that's where, you know, getting into the details is what is challenging for an organization. Um, and, and to have a, an established program uh, provide a, 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 a really systematic, you know, five-step approach to, to reaching their milestones. And I think that's where we start is with the data. And our clients typically want to know how much waste is generated you know, at, at different points in the building, um, you know, from an office floor or a loading dock, and then what size those bins are, whether they're serviced or not, 
um, and how many bins do they need per floor and how do they optimize all of this. And so basically, uh, once they start collecting the, the data on how contaminated the waste is inside their bins during a typical operational day is how we're able to create these feedback email notifications to alert the right stakeholders within their organization as to how to remediate it or use that data to ultimately create a process so they can eliminate certain types of contamination from entering the waste stream. And if they're really diligent about it, that's how they uh, send less waste to the landfills, create processes for reusables or to prevent waste from entering the waste stream and hence get closer and closer to zero waste. Yeah, I love it. And it's something that I'm, I'm realizing is even more important now than ever with this COVID situation because, you know, there's been a lot of turnover. And when there's so much turnover, a lot of new people come into these organizations. They don't have the, you know, experience with um, you know, how to properly sort or recycle or if the, you know, if that's even a priority for the organization. And so we've seen a lot of slipping from some of our customers uh, coming back to work, returning to work and, um, you know, how these programs are looking. So uh, instead of it being a non-recognized uh, issue for a long time, people using your platform would, you know, within a very short amount of time, see that there's been slipping and that they need to address these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, you can manage what you don't measure. And it's, it's sort of like... Uh, you know, being on a weight loss program, right? The moment you get off of it, you start putting on weight. Um, and, and so I think it's just a question of constantly being aware of uh, what you're, what the organization is purchasing and discarding and how its occupants or employees are interacting with waste um, and, and just being really conscious about it. And then sort of having those discussions at every uh, you know, quarterly meeting with uh, whether with with the other uh, teams, whether it's sustainability facilities or janitorial, and sort of taking the right steps. If this is what something that they are interested in solving and getting to zero waste, then uh, you know this is the the approach to operation operationalize it. So, what about the problem where you have generated good data and you've even analyzed the data and made good reports that are actionable? But no one's reading the reports. Well, it depends on who is interacting with the data. Because so in our case, it's mainly the managers who are reading the, the reports. And it's not really, we've gone away from the approach of creating those periodic reports. And all the data that, that is collected through our platform appears on a web dashboard in real time. So the managers, managers have continuous access to that data. And so for us, it's, more, it's, it's like, how, how often are they engaging with our platform? So how often are they logging in? How often are they like looking at the data and actually implementing or interacting with the, with the, with the web-based software? Um, because that's, how, that's what they use to sort of create these tasks for or, their different departments or staff in order to take care of certain issues. Um, and the more they interact with it, that's how we know that they're using it. And, uh, and we sort of uh, have meetings with them uh, on a monthly basis to make sure that they are using it in the right way and that they're actually uh, deriving value from it. Good, good. Yeah, that's great because I know I've just been frustrated over the years of making really detailed reports and you know, analyses of, um, you know, how much waste was generated at say an event or at, a, an office. And, 
Um, then no one, you know, even responds to the, I send the report, I get no response. No one cares. You know, it's like, I've asked other event planners like, Oh, do you have any data from the last uh, couple of years of doing your event? Like what kind of, what's the trash data look like? And they're like, we don't have anything like that, you know, and maybe they did and didn't read it. That's, but you're actually seeing if they're reading it and taking the, um, you know, or your platform allows you to see if they're utilizing the information and, and taking action and it, what impact that has. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point, right? Like the old way of doing things was to like sort of create, you know, do an audit, create a report, send it on. And I've done it too. In fact, you and I have done an audit together with the same sort of format, right? Um, it's, it's really hard because once you send that report out, uh, that reports either to sort of, you know, satisfy a green building certification rating to get an extra point, or it is some sort of, a, uh, you know, proof that you have an, a process in place and, and that you don't get fined by the municipality, but it, it, it isn't really incentivizing the operations or the facilities to, or the organization itself to actually get to the zero waste goal. And so that's why we sort of had to figure out like, how do we keep sending them information that they need to fix or make changes to and, and keep them on that path. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and that sort of is how we designed this, um, this feedback mechanism uh, constantly so that they can interact with it and, 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 and keep resolving the issues that they're, they're uh, pointing out using our platform. Right. And uh, I know we're doing um, similar stuff, sometimes together, sometimes on our own. But one of the things that we've noticed is that we're able to very easily determine uh, in multi-tenant buildings, which tenant is causing problems. And we're able to you know, log that each day. And so when a monthly report can be generated, we can show that you know, this one tenant caused 15 issues this month out of a total of 20 or something. And so it's very easy to take that to management and say, all right, you know, here's, here's a tenant that is needing some attention. And, uh, you know, we start with the carrot and then uh, we have the data to back up the potential stick of, well, you're going to have to start paying more for this uh, waste service because you're, you know, the outsized user of the sorter's time, for example. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the idea, and, and the idea is to constantly create these feedback loops that keep people engaged and uh, keep people true to their own goals. That you know, there is an incentive to reducing waste or sending less waste to the landfills, and that is part of the overall you know sustainability plan. And it's actually fundamental to our existence to, to continue our existence on this planet. Right. Yeah, I mean, if we're not creating uh, these solutions here, then we're just part of the problem, right? But that's one thing I really like about what you're doing is that you're taking a very, uh, you know, tech approach to reducing waste. You've, you know, specialized in um, signal processing and noise reduction and like getting good, uh, clean information out of, um, you know, whatever signals you're getting. So it's, it's really interesting that you're applying it in this way. And uh, I want to know kind of what led you to that. Yeah, um, it's, I guess it started a couple of years ago. Um, I was employed as a data scientist at a startup in San Francisco. 
and we were looking at air quality data uh, using sensors inside buildings. Uh, and I and I noticed that you know uh, after a few months of sort of working with building data, that a lot of the utilities are are being measured like electricity, water, gas, even air quality, even you know the ambiance and like interactions of occupants with uh, you know in, in terms of comfort levels. Uh, but waste wasn't being measured in a way in which it could be communicated to people like the, your typical, you know, staffer or someone sitting at a desk doesn't really understand what's going on with waste unless until all they see is those signs, um, at the, the nearest bin, um, in their office space. And, and so that's sort of, so that was one event that happened. And at the same time, coincidentally, I was training for an Alcatraz swim in San Francisco Bay. Um, and I, you know, I swam into trash on one of my training swims on a Sunday morning. And there was like plastic bags, snack wrappers. And I just, I was, you know, it was the perfect storm for me to like put my, my experience and skill set in data science to figure out a solution to, to measure waste and, uh, and, uh, and apply it to buildings and uh, occupants. Yeah, there's some really exciting stuff going on in this field. And, you know, I'm kind of a, a tech nerd, even though I'm more of a, um, a user and fanboy than uh, actual like programmer or product designer. But I've um, seen some really interesting developments and in, um, uh, computer vision looking at trash, whether it's being able to tell how full a dumpster is or how contaminated it is or as materials going across a belt, now they're having robots identify not only the material type for sorting and then doing the sorting, but also they're able to do brand audits and other kinds of uh, really useful things that uh, would just take too much time for humans to do, you know, to count how many Coke bottles are coming down versus Pepsi. Uh, that would be a challenge, but with computer vision, you can get all kinds of data and then see like, oh, wow, it, it turns out, you know, Coca-Cola is making an outsized uh, portion of our trash or in the case of a building, you know, this one tenant is uh, making an outsized uh, contribution to our contamination rates. And so I think it's a, it's a really interesting uh, uh, new field of understanding garbology, right? <laughs> yeah. Garbology um, 2.0. Yeah. And I would, I would imagine uh, I mean, you are an expert in this field with, you know, having created your own robot um, that you invited me to see one day. And it was, it was spectacular to actually see that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to see where we've come, but I feel in my opinion, I've, I've seen, you know, you've seen, we've seen the rapid adoption uh, in new tech at uh, MRFs, um, mostly these large capital infrastructure upgrades, uh, but, and, and mainly because, you know, robots are, 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 you know, they're slower than humans, but they don't get, they don't sleep and they don't get sick. And so you can keep running them for, you know, 24 hours. But I, I feel that they are, they also disconnect humans from waste. Cause a lot of times I get, when I'm working with buildings, I get a, a comment from people saying, Oh, this, isn't there someone to take care of this? Like, why am I supposed to separate things? And I feel like sort of creating or adding a robot in the mixture uh, makes it a little more 
sort of, you know, mundane and a little more disconnected for people to know right. how they're interacting with waste and whether they should bother or even care about what they're purchasing. Right. It's such a um, common misconception. Sometimes it's true, you know, like if you're in Los Angeles or something, your trash is probably going to a dirty Murph and they're sorting out the recycling for you. But uh, in many other locations, the trash isn't getting sorted again. And people just seem to think that all trash gets sorted and, and that's not the case. Um, I think the advantage of what you're doing is actually going upstream, educating people and giving them the information to say, you know, sort food separate from the trash and, you know, the plastic over here, the metal over here so that, you know, we're getting clean enough streams so that when robots or whoever is processing it, it's, you know, they're more just categorizing. They're not trying to remove contamination or uh, getting bogged down with, um, you know, material that's just been ruined because like there's food all over the paper. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So like, uh, how do you, um, how do you get good data? You know, you have this, this app that you have a lot of people using. Um, I'm sure the quality of photos that they're taking or, you know, the, the way that they input data isn't consistent across the board, right? Yeah, I, I think um, it's a question of, again, trying to figure out how to quantify the problems. And the, in, in, in the way we've designed our system, the problems are not quantified by knowing exactly how much contamination there is, but by sort of getting a ballpark for contamination and then tagging it with the right items that are being seen that are contributing to that contamination. And so as we've sort of evolved, are the processes that have enabled us to do this tagging have also sped up and evolved. For example, um, we just concluded a project with San Francisco State University, uh, and and this was a partnership with the university itself, where we had uh, a couple of their professors and an intern um, who worked with us to create an algorithm that would identify how full the bins are and tag some of the items that uh, uh, that were seen as contaminants. Uh, with a whole with the database that we already have of uh, working with some of our clients, and th so that's sort of you know where we're going with this is how do we quickly identify things and sort of you know uh, report it to the right person so they can either take care of it right now depending on the severity of the problem because hazardous waste appearing in the waste stream could end up in immediate fines, but food waste could be more of a strategic approach to try and tackle. Um, and so I think, so that's the sort of the paradigm that we have created that helps the clients sort of figure out what it is that they want to solve right now versus what is it that they want to put their heads together and solve. And so it's, it's sort of, you know, we've come up with our own way of quantifying that, the problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good to take these different approaches. I just um, notice often with our crews using, you know, our platform, sometimes, you know, you get a picture, the information's there that you're looking for, but 
um, there's sometimes it's like, you know, way out of focus or, you know, like a, a wide shot when you really just want the contents of the bin. Um, you know, just trying to get consistency from human inputs versus the consistency that you get with robots or, you know, um, computer vision that is uh, like a fixed camera or a sensor that is like, you know, trained along the same model. So, you know, it's always going to be the same versus, you know, two different people coming on shift that input data differently. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a that's a very valid point and a challenge. But I think the way we look at it is the amount of information that a human can potentially capture is significantly larger than the amount that a robot can capture at this point. Uh, especially when you look at the the workflow in buildings. And uh, like you mentioned, we are working with buildings that are way upstream than the MRFs where you have a, a camera that can be installed in a very specific location that doesn't change. And then you have a very specific you know, flow of waste coming in. Uh, but that's not the case with buildings. And so I think what is challenging there is to lo you know, the logistics around um, deploying this whole network of sensors that can do this at scale and, and providing the right ROI to the client. Right. Uh, right. And then training the whole, uh, you know, machine learning thing too. Right. And so like the typical buildings that some of the buildings that we work with, they have 15 bins on each floor and about 30 floors. So we're talking about 500 bins on, in a, in a building. And so it's really hard to like, you know, deploy this, scale of, uh, you know, sensors that are measuring waste at all these bins. And so I think there's a few companies that have come up with, um, a trade-off where they just, there's just one fancy, uh, bin that's in like a common area that's measuring waste. But I think that still doesn't solve the problem because you're leaving out the 80% of the, the, the workplace. And so I think that's where I think humans have a better, uh, ability to capture more data. And not to mention that, you know, this is, you know, this, this might not be the case next year. Right. So uh, it's, it's a question of evolution at this point in time, this is the best solution in order to capture the problem at the source. Right. And then, so how it evolves is, is how technology can help us figure out uh, the best solution. Yeah, completely. I just come at it with this perspective of actually, you know, at one point in my career, doing routes in buildings, servicing recycling bins, and often coming up with some contaminant in there. And I would, I would pull it out and it would be, say, the wrapper around a um, pack of printer paper. It's like, oh, you know, this, this wrapper around the paper is designed to be waterproof. It's not recyclable. I mentioned that fact to the, you know, person operating that printer, you know, learn something and we have a nice interaction and and then the contamination stops until the next uh, you know person comes on that takes that job on and didn't get the memo, kind of thing. But that's not really the case always. You know, you don't always have um, janitorial service or or these bins being picked up when people are at work. So you know, we have to use tools that let us track you know where these these point sources of contamination are coming from, and then provide feedback 
and in a much different way, but you know, it's, it's starting to go digital and I'm really interested to see what you think, um, you know, thanks to the rapid pace of technological advancement in this industry, like what things could look like in the future. Yeah. I mean, I think things are definitely way beyond digital, I guess. Um, it's, it's well in the sense of, now that we are able to digitize the heck out of everything, what do we do with this information? And so the age of, it's, it's even beyond the age of big data. And, and so the question really is, how do we interact with these ecosystems of digital data that we're collecting at every single point in time and space and person and put this information together to design systems and inform us of best practices to build things the right way and see that they're all tied to a certain outcome that's actually beneficial to the earth and, you know, uh, and our society. So I think it's a question of being able to, uh, you know, come up with solutions on how we can use the data and effectively integrate it with existing systems or workflows in order to drive the right outcome. And I think the outcome isn't just purely based on, you know, profits or um, growth, but it's also based on economic, social, and environmental justice. And I think that's something that needs to be thought about with, you know, every, with every new startup that's coming up with a solution I think these are some factors and attributes that need to be considered while designing the solution and the business. Oh, definitely. But, you know, I I just kind of daydream about a future where we have augmented reality in our glasses and, you know, we go to look at a a bin and we're going to throw away a product and it identifies the thing we're throwing. It sees that we're at a trash can station or like recycling station. And so then maybe the object in my hand glows blue to match the blue bin. And if I put it in the blue bin, then I get some like notification of like, good job and a little dopamine hit. Or if I put it in the wrong one, it's like, eh, you know, like you did wrong. And if you fix it, then maybe you get, uh, you know, a, another thumbs up. Um, but if you don't fix it and you just walk away and leave the contamination in the bin, then maybe, uh, you know, it'll it'll get noted on, on, um, you know, the trash report. Yeah. I mean, it looks like you have the idea for your next venture. Oh man. I am very gun shy around startups these days. The, the robot project was very interesting and we got a functional trash sorting robot out of it, but both the software manufacturer and the hardware manufacturer went bankrupt. So, um, kind of stuck with this, uh, unsupported, uh, semi-useful robot at this point. So do you still have the robot with you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, thinking about putting it up for sale unless you need one. Oh, um, I think we, we, we have our own systems that we're dealing with. <laughs> yeah. Robots are complicated. Um, but really learned a lot. It was impressive to, um, see that with even, a very modest investment. It was like something like $20,000 to get the actual physical robot computer, 
uh, software to run it. Um, you know, I had to spend a lot of time drawing boxes around pictures of uh, trash that we took as it went across the conveyor. We're just constantly dumping trash on this conveyor and then training this computer model to recognize it. But then it started to recognize it. And then once it was able to recognize it, we could say, all right, well, if it's a you know cup, pick it up and put it in this bin over here. This is the cup bin. And then if it's a can, pick it up and put it in this other bin over here. And it's a can bin. And sure enough, like we got that working. So I, I think it's more of an eventuality that uh, robots will be doing a lot of the sorting in the future. It's just starting to get, get uh, you know, more widespread. We've had, uh, what do you call it, the um, near-infrared, uh, high-speed, like, air jet um, sorters and stuff like that. But using, using computer vision, I think, is uh, it's, it's going to change a lot of how sorting happens. And I think that's a good thing. I think a lot of sorting facilities are not the healthiest, uh, safest places to be. You know, a lot of dust and uh, loud noise and and things like that. So, um, and you know, I wouldn't say that it would be a problem if a lot of uh, MRFs went toward robotics and things like that. But uh, you know, it's not going to work if it's all just mixed trash coming through. You know, robots aren't going to be able to sort trash. Humans have enough trouble trying to separate that stuff out so we really do need to go upstream and work toward making sure that you know food waste is separate and going into organic streams and anything recyclable is going into the appropriate bins and um eventually just uh we'll be able to look at what's in the trash maybe using more computer vision and say okay these are the things that are in the trash and we can see what's the biggest component of the trash, and then let's start uh, eliminating that and replacing it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, uh, the, the MRF environments are pretty harsh on people, in, uh, and then the people themselves are, are prone to injuries. Um, it's one of the you know, uh, uh, highest injury-causing jobs uh, in the country. Yeah, it's number um, five, five most dangerous jobs. It's uh, yeah, like police aren't even in the top ten, right? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I can imagine how the the robotic infrastructure can can totally um, make that uh, you know uh, helpful for the MRFs to upgrade and get cleaner material and and uh, save lives. But also, I think it's a it might be worthwhile to have some of these robots in buildings and loading docks to have them sort upstream. So it's, you know, sending cleaner material to the transfer stations and the works in the first place. Right. And that's kind of the role that we're filling right now uh, with our human crew. And I think it's, it's going to be a while before robots can fill that niche. Um, you know, we thought about it with the robot, having it on a trailer and being able to just have people like wheel a cart up to it and dump it in and then it all gets sorted. But we're finding that, you know, most people bring pretty well sorted material and it's much more effective to have a person there to greet them, to tell them, Oh yeah, good job. You know, put it in there. Um, Oh, don't put the bag in the bin. You know, it has to be loose if it's recycling. Um, 
things like that. And then they develop this rapport and relationship and give good feedback to the people that are actually bringing the material down. And then we don't actually have to do as much sorting because we are kind of communicating upstream. And sometimes people bring us like really contaminated bags and we just send them back. We say, nope, take that back. You can't even sort it here. You got to take it back where it came from, sort it properly, and then you can bring it back to us. And those kind of harsh like lessons, you know, really improve behavior. Like the next day it comes back perfect. But I don't think a robot's going to be able to shame people, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive that you were able to create that workflow and, and educate, um, you know, the occupants upstream. Do you, uh, how are you, what are you seeing now in terms of, um, with COVID, um, has it affected the sorting programs? Oh, definitely. Definitely. We, um, you know, make them put the bag down six feet away and then we'll go and check it and we'll just handle it from there if it's good uh, or have them, we'll step back and send it back. We're seeing a lot of PPE coming in that uh, is in the wrong bin. We're, you know, we had to put out signs telling everybody that PPE is waste and it goes to the landfill. It's not going to get sorted. Like there shouldn't be any recyclables mixed in with your PPE and other trash. But, um, you know, my, my team has sometimes brought it up. It's like, oh, there's some PPP in the compost. How much of a problem is that? And, you know, I've told them don't sort it, you know, don't contaminate. Like, I'm not too worried about surface transmission. Like there's um, not a one single confirmed case of someone getting COVID from touching something that we know of. Um, Yes, it might stick on some surfaces, but it, the amount that uh, it would take to, you know, get into a person's body would, it's, it's just pretty low chance. You know, you'd have to like, uh, like our last guest said, someone would have to like lick a table and then you come by later and then lick the same table kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to PPE, that's not something I want to have my people touching, you know, like that it's like a mask, you know, they've been breathing on it. It's like the most potentially infected object that someone could hand you right so um all of that stuff is we're telling people it goes in the trash and it has to go to the trash but if it's in the compost i say let it go through the composting process it'll get screened out at the end and it's just not worth the risk of um having to sort that kind of thing yeah i'm glad you brought that up because we have also in since March be noticing the increase of PPE in the recycle and compost streams through our data. And uh, it actually helped us switch focus because as you already know, commercial waste volumes have been dropping and I think by more than like 60% now. Um, and so we sort of went back to the drawing board and, 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 and we, we try to figure out how we could be a part of the solution to the pandemic. And we kind of, um, you know, started evaluating which businesses really were susceptible to an increase in PPE in the wrong streams. And, and obviously hospitals were one big piece and, and we started digging in further. And I don't know if you know this, but in uh, a typical American uh, in the U.S., generates about four and a half pounds of waste per day. You've probably seen that, heard that number uh, thrown around by the EPA. Yep. In the hospital, that number goes up to twenty-nine pounds per patient per day. Yeah, and, I believe it. 
And now there was another stat that came out that during an infectious disease period, 43% of the waste can be attributed to PPE. And it was insane. And, and now, and, and hospitals aren't even at full occupancy because they don't have elective uh, you know, surgeries in place. And so that was really a trigger for us. So we kind of shifted focus and pivoted now to hospitals. And so we mainly now sort of, we created some free resources, free posters for signage uh, to prevent the wrong improper disposal of PPE. That got picked up by a couple hospitals. And we have a, a, um, a bunch of clients that we are now, you know, starting pilots with to set up our same zero waste program with hospitals. Yeah, yeah. I know that you and I worked on a hospital uh, project once and have been following your your uh, recent um, activities and seeing a lot more of that stuff. So that's, that's always something that I looked at as the final frontier of, of waste management and recycling goals, you know, like multifamily housing, that's kind of out there. That's like, that's a tough nut to crack. That, we'll get to that hopefully. And, and there are people working on it, but that, that one's really tough. But man, hospitals, that's tough. And uh, we did talk about this a little bit on, on an earlier show with Gary Liss. And we were both just pulling our hair out saying, why, why can't we go back to reusable PPE? Like you just wash it with soap and water and it's fine, right? Like COVID doesn't survive um, that kind of exposure to soap or, or anything. So, you know, that there shouldn't be an issue with reusable PPE. Yeah, I mean, we use it at home all the time. My wife uh, made us a bunch of PPEs and uh, we've been reusing them, washing them, wearing them again. It's been oh, fun. I'm, I'm getting so <laughs> many different kinds of masks at this point. Uh, people are sending me masks. I got, you know, some that are screen printed and have different, uh, you know, fancy fabrics or uh, we even got some Wastebusters masks that that uh, a friend made. So, yeah, it's a, it's a thing now. But, you know, they have those sleeves in the hospitals or like these plastic sleeves that they rip off, plastic, um, you know, shoe covers, face shields, all kinds of stuff that used to be just washed, autoclaved or uh, laundered. And uh, these days, everything's disposable. Yeah, uh, it's uh, and it's only going to get worse with uh, COVID because everything is disposable right now more so than before and the budgets for these hospitals you know they're siloed off the waste management is probably more of its uh you know operations utilities etc kind of costs and the ppe might be in another department but um, if we can take those numbers together and say look you know this is how much you're spending on ppe trash and this is how much you're spending on the ppp itself and then you can start to make cases for uh, you know, a reusable alternative, like if there was a service providing such a thing. But because all of these costs are spread out all across an organization, sometimes it's hard to make that case. I see. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think typically waste is always a small portion of the utility budget, right? Because energy takes up the big chunk, the big chunk. And sure. it's, it's always a hard battle to, to, you know, prove ROI with waste. But I think, you know, obviously supply, the supply chain is a huge factor. And if you, if you look at a typical hospital stream, there's, there's a whole bunch of unused supplies that just gets tossed 
in the waste stream and then they're paying yeah. for the disposal or the removal again. Um, so I think those are some of the areas that we're focusing on right now to identify and then establish again with the same paradigm, establish programs that will give them a, a, a long-term ROI in reducing waste. Well, there's also shortages, like you mentioned, uh, that has been a recurring issue of not enough PPE for you know hospital workers or anyone who needs it. And it's like, I mean, it would be easy enough to have reusable PPE on hand that's like washed and packed in clean containers. And then when an outbreak comes, you know, everyone breaks into those containers and gets issued the the reusable ones, and then they go through the washing sanitizing process and use it again. I mean, now we're starting to see divers finding, you know, masks and gloves and, uh, you know, dive spots. And there's just PPE showing up on shorelines, washing up on beaches. It's really getting out of control. I see them on the ground all the time. Yeah. I mean, I've read tons of reports of uh, PPE litter everywhere. In fact, there was one, um, a French uh, environmentalist that said we might soon have more PPE than jellyfish in the ocean. Oh man. Well, um, I think this is such a big topic. We're going to have to have you back on another future show, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Always happy to chat with you, Mike. Yeah. So uh, before we send off it, do you have a first memory of trash? Hmm. Uh, well, I grew up in India in, you know, in the eighties and nineties. Um, and you know, from what I can remember at home, we didn't even have bins because there was no waste. We had, we had uh, no concept of waste. Uh, we had, you know, rags to clean floors. We had like washcloths, um, to wipe up, uh, groceries would be brought in homemade reusable bags, um, or wrapped up in newspaper. And then I, I do remember that a newspaper guy would show up once a month and pick up the stack of newspapers that we would have. And then he would pay us for, you know, hauling that away. Uh, that's what I grew up with. And, but I think something changed. I think in the nineties, it, it was just, I, all I can remember is trash everywhere. Uh, trash on the streets, trash on the corners, any location that had a little open area would become a dumping ground and it was all plastic packaging that just started appearing. Cause I think maybe that's when plastic started ramping up. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of my memory of trash growing up. And I, I, I want to see that my old memory of, of not having bins around and just reusing things and we're trying to do this at home as much as we can, but there's always the inevitable packaging that pops up because that's the only way you can buy certain things in stores nowadays. I know it's tough with the bulk bins closed and everything, trying to do the zero waste lifestyle. It's like, you got to get a bag now, but hopefully we'll, we'll be seeing a, a return as some of the, uh, reuse systems that were just getting launched in 2020. Uh, one of ours and many others have really kind of, kind of got broadsided by this, but turns out uh, they're just as safe as single use disposables from what we could tell. And, you know, there, hopefully there's a future there. 
but I'm with you. I think reuse is the way to go as well, uh, as well as going upstream, using uh, data, collecting good data, and, and communicating that to the point source of this, uh, you know, contamination in our waste stream and our, in our resource streams. Uh, it's going to be, you know, part of this. These are all parts of the solution. And thank you for your contributions to it. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your work and talking with you again soon. Yeah, thanks for sharing your thoughts and um, having me on your show. I think it's fantastic what you're doing and, and, and keep pushing and trash talking. Great, Nick. All right, take care. You're All right, well. Stay safe.